0: Hey, it's Clay, welcome back to another episode of the Money with Clay podcast, as hopefully you realized from the title. I'm sitting down with somebody and we're gonna have one of our free-flowing discussions. And while I'm not gonna call Ethan a personal friend, like I've done in the past with you know people that I like to surround myself with, I will call him a friend in the sense of if we lived closer, I would totally hang out with him, I would totally you know wanna surround myself with him because he's got a great mentality, he's got a great outlook on life, but what really stands out to me about Ethan, and why I wanted him to get him out in the first place, was because his mindset, the way he views the world now, it, it definitely wasn't always like that. He had a much different, um, you know, just kind of overall viewpoint on the world, on the system, and how everything worked. And he's totally done a 180, which I found fascinating. And, you know, I don't know if people that used to think like Ethan listen to stuff like this, but if they do, then awesome. He offers up some great points about how he kind of broke out of that, and then also how you know you if you know somebody that's viewing the world in the sense of oh the system's rigged against me, you know oh this oh that woe is me you know victim all that sort of stuff. You know he gives some great advice on you know what you can do to try to get through to those people to try to kind of pull them away from you know that very uh, you know. As he, as Ethan describes it, a, a vicious cycle. So a lot of good stuff from that perspective. Ethan's also a, a business owner, and he's built a, a a nice little business for himself. And he he started at the ground and built up a lot of door knocking. So we talk about that. We talk about some student loans. We talk about all sorts of good good stuff. But you know, as far as you know, inspiring, I was inspired. Uh, he, and he, his story is very motivating and just yet another data point on, listen, no excuses. There's plenty of tools out there to help you succeed. There's plenty of things in place to help you dig out of holes that maybe you're already in. So just be aware of them. And you know, just put the ax to the grindstone and get to it because you know, we're, there's a will, there's a way. And as you'll see, Ethan definitely had quite the will to turn his uh, situation, turn his life around. So yeah, let's get to it with Ethan. Ethan, uh, welcome to the show. Man, it is
1: good to be on.
0: Now we were How just are about you? to talk about, or you wanted to talk about something. I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Ethan! Let, let's get this, <laughs> let's get this sucker recording." So um, you sent me a link. I clicked on the link, and at the top, I see the National Consumer Law Center, and it's something titled "Student Loans," and you you wanted to bring that up. So yeah, we'll, we'll kick this whole uh, thing off right here. So what were you gonna? Um, bring about well
1: it's probably a lot of your listeners know if they listen to quite a few of your podcasts you know people are getting in trouble because uh they they've bought into the idea that somehow if you go to college everything's going to be okay you're going to get a great job and uh, a lot of people find out a little bit too late into their debt that it's just not working out that way isn't that kind of the impression you got
0: That is 100% what I preach around here. You are dead on bullseye. So there's a
1: lot of ways to make money and we don't necessarily have to just believe the ideology that this is the only route that you go. However, um, this particular website is something that I utilize. Even though I wasn't involved in student loans, I did have a lot of loans. And when you get into trouble, when you get into any trouble, there is laws that hold them accountable. So, in other words, if uh, let's say I I owed you money, Nate, and um, it's not Nate, uh, Clay, I owed you money, and uh,
0: I, don't look at the recording software. I realize it says Nate right there, so that'll throw you <laughs> off every yeah, time. Do me I, off. I, I understand why you did that because yeah. it still confuses me.
1: It's done it to me twice already. But yeah, is us say if I owed you a thousand dollars, like now I, I have an obligation to pay you, and you have an obligation to enforce it but you don't have a right to come to my door at the middle of the night and bang on my door, that that would be considered illegal. So in other words, uh, you can hold these people accountable. It's like, yeah, okay, you you got me into this loan and I volunteered into it. However, like what a lot of people are finding out when they get into these loans is that they were offered perhaps uh, prospectus. they are saying, okay, you know, this is our rate of job employment, and this is uh, how many people were getting filled. And then when they get into the job world, they can't get anything, and they're like, "What's going on?" They've done research sometimes in some of these rates that they say, okay, you know, we we uh, we have about sixty percent placement, and they found out that some of these placements were kids. On the campus, getting jobs at like bookstores or doing random stuff, and they were including that in their prospectus. And so when you go and hold them accountable, then the judges look at that as fraud. and you absolutely have a right or a remedy, you might say, in order to uh, fix some of these problems. So, When you talk about a lot of people taking responsibility, yes, you need to take responsibility. If you get involved in something and you agree to it, that's absolutely take responsibility to it. However, you also have the right and the ability, the remedy to hold their feet to the fire to make sure that they didn't do anything that was illegal. In other words, like you say in a lot of these podcasts, that people just want to elect somebody to fix everything for them. But the remedy's already there. They've given us the laws to enforce our side of uh, the consumer law. And so when I've gotten into a different uh, trouble, I've, I've held their feet to the fire. I actually took one debt collector to a federal court and we won. And it was it's one of the most liberating things knowing that uh, consumer law is on the side of the people. And all we have to do is speak up and enforce uh, our existing rights.
0: I fully agree with you because at some point you, you cross over the bridge and you're in the deal and it is what it is. You're in the deal. So at that point, I mean, I don't think I've ever brought this up but you, you bring a point that I, I agree fully with. Yeah, it's your responsibility. Yeah, it's personal responsibility. But to your point, yeah, part of re- personal responsibility is okay, now I'm here. What tools do I have to climb out of here? And right here, like you said, you have laws and you have certain Um, You know, logistics that are that could be in your favor and use to help you get out of the hole that much faster. So, that's that's a great point. And uh, we'll put a link to this on the show notes page uh, if you're curious. But yeah, it's just the National Consumer Law Center and um, great point. Great point. And that's why I love to bring people on here because I by no means am a perfect and I'm sure I miss different vantage points. But yeah, that's awesome. There are tools out there available to you and uh, look into them, make sure that uh, they're making it as. Because uh, remember, you want they should allow you to get out of debt, but if they're sitting there hamstringing you or doing other things, then yeah, you have rights as a consumer, you have rights as somebody that's entered into it uh, to be able to get out. Now I have to ask you though, um, unless you th- think it's just a terrible, boring story, but uh, you know, you're not somebody that's talking in theory. As you just said, you've taken a loan collector to court and won. So I, you think that's, I want to hear the story. So why, why don't you kind of walk us through how all well that played out because this is like a good little kind of court mystery here. Yeah,
1: so yeah, I did have a lot of real estate debt and uh, a lot of them were allowing me to settle. And um, you know, when when everything fell apart, everybody stopped paying their rents. It, it was like I think I was having about forty percent pay rate in all my rental houses. I had twelve properties, so it it got really scary for a while. So.
0: Okay, so would it would it be fair, Ethan, to say that we'll probably cross this bridge a little bit later on down the road? Because I want to kind of start at your real estate ventures from more so the get go, and then it sounds like when the wheels come off, that would be a, would that be a better time to to hit up this story?
1: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, because it, it it's it's complicated. It's it's a lot. But I mean, just in short, is that um, I I just had to understand where I stood with all this. And what was funny is because a lot of them would just. They would give up, the your original creditor would sell sell the debt to a debt collector. And I had this happen with other credit cards too. And when they sell it, that changes your relationship with them big time. Now, you know, there's assignment clauses and things like that. But a lot of times there isn't assignment clauses. So, you know, it's, for example, the way it works is like, say if I owed you money, right? And then I was making payments and you just all of a sudden said, you know what? I'm, I'm going out of business and I'm going to hand this over to IT Nate. I'm gonna let him collect. So you go to your buddy and you say, hey, um, give me a hundred bucks and you correct, collect the the rest of the amount from this guy, all right? But I never made a, an agreement with ITA. So I have a right to ask if he comes after me and say, hey, uh, pay this amount. I can say, well, who are you? How did you come to this conclusion? And what is the, you know, where where is this all falling into place here, you see? And so I could say, you know, I demand that because there was a meeting of the minds between you and I, not between this third party. So where is he coming from? Let's let's see if I really have a true obligation to pay you. And a lot of times they don't want to; they hide that, right? So if you made that deal with your buddy, why couldn't you just made that deal with me and we, we would have been fresh, right? And see, so a lot of times they play these games of like stringing you along from one debt collector to another. And you have a right to hold them accountable. And sometimes when you hold them accountable, they're just like, uh, uh, <laughs> you find out they 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 purchased the debt two cents on the dollar. And you're like, what? And you wouldn't offer me a 30%, you know, uh, say, uh, what do you call it? Like a settlement, a 50% settlement. But yet you do this to your buddy for like two cents on the dollar. So it's, you got to really hold them accountable because when you get in trouble, you um, They will play these types of games with you. And uh, I understand why it works that way, but no one should ever think that the system is against you because they provided all the remedies for you. And it just takes a little bit of investigation. That's all it is.
0: Yeah. And I've heard, I've never had, you know, debt collectors or anything like that. But from my understanding and from what I've read and heard and all that, the last thing you want to do is ever to give them access to like a, a checking account or anything like that because right. they will, they will, pretty much take you to the woodshed. Is that? um I'm not necessarily that you've been taking to the woodshed, but it sounds like you have a little bit more. Well,
1: they tried. Um, you know. they, they tried, but you know, yeah, you you definitely have a remedy. And as I just went down that rabbit hole doing the research, I was like, I you feel so empowered. Like no one should. Feel like they got their tail between their legs and they don't know what to do and and they feel entrapped. You know, I've watched people uh, in this community, especially that when things really started to fall apart during the housing market. I knew a lot of people that were selling real estate. I watched marriages break up. I watched uh, people get on hooked on drugs and just destroy their lives. And it was really sad because they felt like there was no way out. And <laughs> it just kind of broke my heart that people were going through that and I was like no there's something you can do you can stand up you can exercise your rights and you can get through this and some banks actually worked with me very nicely we solved everything and you know we're we're at peace and and they're still doing business with me you know what I mean but others just you know they their banks were some of these banks were collapsing and they just wanted to get a quick buck and send it off to their buddies and that just wasn't cool
0: what uh, if I don't know why you wouldn't be able to? What, but what banks do you enjoy working with, or you know, they are ones that were willing to kind of wheel and deal with you? Uh,
1: credit unions are are okay. really nice. Um, they can they can they're a little more flexible. I found um, I had another bank. We had a pretty good relationship, and they it was BBBA. They actually um, worked with me quite a bit, and uh, we changed terms and things like that. And then there were just others. They were just like you couldn't even get a hold of them. You know what I mean? Um, dealing with like countrywide and things like that, it was just like impossible to even deal with those guys. So,
0: and that's probably why Countrywide went kaput because mm-hmm. they had apparently extremely terrible customer service. Yeah. You know, as I'm sure, yeah. one of many other um, problems. So, right, I I know I definitely want to talk more about real estate, but one of the more fascinating things from our other podcast, um, you know, from the um, the other site. Was kind of your uh, your your opening mentality towards life, um, how you were raised, and I definitely don't expect you to you know throw anybody under the bus or anything like that. But (laughs) it kind of was very interesting because you used to have. I mean, from the way you talk right now, I mean, it's all about listen, grab the bull by the horns, get out there. You know, you can fight back. You know, let's go. You know, just get to it. But I, I know that it used to not necessarily always be that way for you. So I mean, our. Are, are you open to kind of talking about yeah. more so your kind of your childhood and how you were brought up and kind of what your opening mentality and viewpoint of the world uh, actually was? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, it, it's sometimes a little bit hard, but um, I, I think it is an important message because sometimes I'll hear you say a lot, a lot of times that you know people just need to really, you know, stop blaming and. And go ahead.
0: And honestly, for listeners out there, Ethan is, he has given me that much more gusto when I start to lay out, <laughs> out into things. Ethan, you are one of the reasons you are like kind of my, you know, prime data point right now on, Hey, I, I, I just don't want to hear it. And if you think one way, listen, you, you can change your thought process and you can, you know, you can get going. So yeah, right. I mean, um, Ethan, like I said to listeners, he is one of the, the key data points and one on why I talk about some of that stuff. With such force and uh, emphasis. So sorry to cut you off, but no yeah, worries, yeah, prime data point, Ethan, right here. Yeah,
1: and you know it's it's interesting because um, on the one hand, you're absolutely right; like, there is no excuses. But on the other hand, when people really are entrenched in that mentality, and you tell them to snap out of it, you no excuses, they're not even listening to you. It's it's an, an immediate turn off to a lot of people because they are so deeply entrenched in that. And I think a lot of your listeners have already like they're they're waking up. Basically, they're waking up and they're they're looking. That's why they're on podcasts like that. But for a lot of people, they're so deeply entrenched in that thinking, uh, they truly believe that the system is working against them. That the system was designed to see them fail. Rich people are the enemy. Rich people are greedy, and especially if you you're developing a around a religious religious household, sometimes it's like you know money is evil, and, and just that type of thinking. And when when you have that. Uh, mentality kind of imposed on you from an early age. It's like you have this protected shell around you, and so if you come along and say, "Hey, you know, what? you can't think that way. You have to like just snap out of it and make you know start making money." It's like, oh, they they just want you to be rich. They just want you, to be, and you know, being rich isn't isn't good, you know. And so next thing you know, the person's like, "Yeah, I better not listen to that," and they just go back to. Staying in poverty, and it's a really sad cycle. And so, a person actually has to take a leap of faith to say, "You know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to have an open mind." And they might even it might even bother their conscience a little bit to feel like, "Man, maybe I'm this isn't the way my parents raised me." So it's it's a difficult challenge to encourage somebody to see the other side without them feeling like maybe they're breaking their Their social structure. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. And I mean, could you elaborate a little bit more? When I think back, it sounds like you most had the mentality, um, you know, in your younger days, of just, hey, you know, we have to elect elect politicians that are are just going to give us the most. That are going to, you know, kind of your, you know, your thought process was, whoever can give me the most handouts, that's who, um, you know, that that's kind of who's the who I'm in favor of. Is that an accurate? Recollection of my memory.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying about that, but in you know It just the way I was brought up we weren't into politics anyways, so it didn't matter We didn't care, you know Necessarily who was coming in office, and we never had hope that somebody was gonna fix it anyways It just the whole system was just just bad pretty much, you know, it it didn't really give a person a chance, so um, We we never looked at it from that standpoint as far as uh, the next guy in office was gonna correct everything But I remember just thinking that, you know, this doesn't make sense because this cycle never gets broken and I don't like it. And I saw good close friends of mine making progress and doing better and I was like, okay, wait a minute, this isn't right, you know? And like, if they're doing better and they're happy, then maybe there's something wrong with the way I was thinking. So I started to, I think the first thing I told you was like, you know, I remember just being up real late at night watching Tony Robbins. And I don't remember what it was he said, but he's just like, it was basically something to the effect like, you know, your mind is like a muscle. Just you do one, just, just make one little change. One little change, that's all it takes. And then if you exercise that one change, then the next time you make another little change, and it won't be too little change. They they become to synergize on top of each other. And, and if you were to make one little change every day, by the end of the year, your life would, could be totally transformed. And that was such a novel thought because I say, yeah, I can make little changes. It's not like I'm going to go off the deep end here, you know, what I mean? <laughs> become some greedy, rich monster or something like that, you know. So I started to do that and what came out of that was you started to see that people that had an abundance were more giving, they were more sharing. In fact, a lot of them, they think less about money and I thought, wow, that is so incredible because we thought about money all the time and we didn't have it. It was always worried and always stressed about money. So if you have it, you can share, you have something to share. You can make a difference in other people's lives. And yeah, you got to put other things li- you know, uh, first in your life, like family, God, and things of that nature. But having something allows you to make better choices. And he, one of the things he also said was, wherever you see poverty, that's where you see crime. That's where you see people hurting one another. And it, it's not you know, 100% true in every fact because there's some really humble, kind people out there that don't have a lot. But at the same time, if you go into the poor communities, that's where the crime is taking place. That's where a lot of the hurt takes place. And in the wealthier communities, that's where you see uh, more charitable giving and things of that nature. So it boils down to each person. Everybody can make a choice. Yes, you can have a lot of money and be uh, a tycoon that's cutthroat. Or you could be like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's that one investor? He's... He's well-known, kind of an older guy, really kind of grandfatherly. You know what I'm talking about? Not
0: Warren Buffett. Yeah,
1: Warren Buffett. Okay. Yeah, there's like the Warren Buffets of the world that just have such a really balanced view of money, and yet they have so much of it. And they don't make that their mission to just kind of gobble up everybody and cutthroat, you know. So, I thought that was interesting. It was a very different perspective for me, and I just I learned... That in order for me to get out of this thinking, I had to build my mind. So I had to start reading a lot. And I just started picking up books. Every time I got a chance, I'd read another book. And funny, it's, you know, when you have your circle of friends or family and they see you reading a book, it's like, well, why do you want to read that book? Well, you know, you get a lot of this blowback pressure. So you almost have to kind of like keep it to yourself because not a lot of people in your circle will complement your goals. So you, as you begin to read and you get these new ideas, you get excited and you're like, I got to share this with somebody. But you have no one to share it with because you, you have no circle that will complement it. You literally built up a world around you where everyone holds you in that environment.
0: So how did you fight through that because, um, I mean, that's that's what I'm always preaching around here. You know, I wanna surround myself with people that are like-minded, like yourself, Ethan, that wanna get out there and let's just get it done. But you clearly weren't surrounded by people like that. And I, I can imagine that would be kinda like an anchor tied around your leg where it's just kinda dragging you down. So, I mean, to the people out there that are maybe going through that right now, I mean, how did you just fight through, I don't know if discouragement's the right word, but how did you get through that situation when you're not surrounded by a bunch of people I mean you mentioned you almost kind of have to hide it so is that what you actually did or I guess kind of dig more into that because I have a feeling a lot of people c- can probably relate to what you're uh, going through or what you went through
1: yeah I, you you really can't give in to your own self-doubt you know um, because that those messages are in the back of your mind so I, I remember you know getting uh, the magic of thinking big you know that that was a really powerful book for me to read and just really basically taught persons to think bigger than where you're at just just make your dreams bigger and as i began to to read in that you know if if it was on the shelf or friends came over and they be like why are you reading that and you got to talk about it and and of course i was fairly young but people would just be like okay yeah whatever um but then they would be like um yeah you know what Uh, when you buy a book like that the only people getting rich is the ones that you gave the money to you know and that 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 persecutes your mind because you're like, yeah, maybe they're right. You know, I just gave up $20 for a book, you know, and, and they, they'll they kind of like make fun of it, you know. So you you really have to uh, surround yourself with the right people. I remember one time, and, and I wouldn't recommend this company or anything, but I mean, I guess they're okay, whatever. But I got into a multi-level marketing company. Everyone there was driven. Uh, they had plenty of information about building your wealth how to think, how to talk to other people. And I started surrounding myself with those people. And you know, to some extent, it, it was a little um, over the top because it was like money was everything kind of ideology. And that didn't feel comfortable with me. But out of that, I, was, I would find people that were a little more balanced about it, that they were where I would want to be their attitudes and the amount of money they were making and the way that they were charitable with it. To me, that just kind of start to resonate. So you start setting your goals. You got to try to find what your goals are first and foremost. Then you have to write those goals down and out of that will come people. They'll start to emerge because you'll start putting yourself out there and because you're starting to think a certain way, it's almost like you become attracted to those types of people. Does that make sense? So, so that does make sense. And I, yeah, I
0: think, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like the solution that you found out with was, you know, I'm not going to be able to convert these people into my thought frame or thought process. I'm just going to have to go find people, remove myself, and, you know, put myself in another, you know, kind of sphere of influence. Is that essentially kind of how you ultimately dealt with it? Is you didn't necessarily convert any of your friends, you just found other people to hang around with?
1: Exactly. And, you know, like, like the friends that I had, they were good friends or some of them are still really good friends, but they were good friends when it comes to certain things. You know what I mean? So, but when it came to business and money, I couldn't talk to them about it. I had to find people outside that circle. So, the common thinking now is like, find your five closest friends, take the average of what they make, and that's usually somewhere where you're going to find your income. <laughs> like, so, if you want to um, size up, you may need to find people that have Uh, a different sphere of influence now that's one reason why you and I are kind of like friends you know what I mean like even though we don't really know each other personally but I listen to all your podcasts because that thinking there's something about your thinking that I really enjoy and I like to hear it and it keeps me on track because it's resonating with where I want to be so I find that different podcasts become your friends. Uh, there are people in the community I'll associate with from time to time and get their input, and just changing your circle of influence. That's that's really what helps a person to climb out of that mentality because then you start to realize that your world isn't as small as you thought it was. It's much bigger and it's much more diverse than you can imagine. And that there are a lot of good people that aren't out to do harm. They're actually out to do good. And it almost puts you to shame because you feel like, man, this whole time I was I was thinking negatively of certain people. And you realize that there's some really good hearted people that give more than you have given in your entire life. Like they'll give more in one day than you've given in your whole, whole life. And to them, they, they don't even sweat about it. They don't even talk about it. It's just like another day to them, you know. And, but for me, it was like sometimes just living paycheck to paycheck was like, man, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Just constantly thinking about money. And I realized that I was the one that was materialistic because I didn't have money. All I did was think about money. And even though money's not the most important thing, when you ain't got it and you're hungry or, you know, your electricity bills due, you're going to be thinking about it. So you you need to get that. I I kind of look at it.
0: I look at it like this, money is like a tool and you don't have to take that tool to build some sort of grand mansion, but if you just wanna build a house, like you said, you still need that tool to build a house. So I mean, you're gonna be thinking about, look, I don't need a mansion, I I just want a house, but I still need some tools. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not, um, now some people, yeah, I fully agree. Unfortunately, they're just, their whole mission is, I need the tools to build a massive mansion and they are just focused on it. But um, yeah, you're wise to focus on money if you don't have any money. Um, yeah. And that th- you know that's not necessarily in a greedy way. Before I forget, though, you brought up a great point, and I want to just clarify: by no means uh, are Ethan or I saying that. You know, let's listen. If you're surrounded by people that don't agree with you, dump them to the curb and never talk <laughs> to them again. We're not saying <laughs> yeah, that at all. No. Like Ethan said, he's got friends where they're still good friends right now, and you know we're not throwing anybody under the bus. But it's all uh, you know. You got to be able to distinguish. Okay, is that friend? Where where's our thought process in, in you know this topic or in, in that kind of um, viewpoint? Because you know that's where you kind of got to start to separate things out. But you know there's uh, definitely some um, you know some conscious distinction that needs to be made on your part because um, yeah we're, we're we're not saying or if it's your family say I'm never coming to another Thanksgiving meal again because I heard some guys on a pot. No, that's not what we're saying. We're <laughs> saying just be smart, yeah. right? That's that's what you're saying. You know, yeah. make just
1: choose wisely. Balance.
0: Yeah, yeah you gotta balance. There you balance, go. There's the word yeah. I was looking for.
1: Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah because you're, you probably even find that in the, your own circle of influence that there are people that kind of reserve it to themselves. You know, like they say, the two things that you never talk about with the strangers, religion or politics, but uh, money could be right up there with it. You know, a lot of people, it's a very emotionally charged uh, topic. Because with that's connected politics and beliefs and things like that. So uh, I think there are a lot of people that kind of keep it to themselves, especially if they're well off. You know, like, like we talk a lot about this on the other podcasts about the stock market. Oh, so what do you do? You're like, uh, <laughs> I, I manage risk. I'm a. He <laughs> just like because as soon as you say the stock market, like, oh, you're a gambler. You know, it's like they, they don't get it, so you just kind of keep these some of your ideas to yourself. You know.
0: Yeah, the the typical. Oh, you offer nothing to society. All you trades. <laughs> what what? Oh, you leech of society. You offer, and it's just like, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm a manager of risk. That's pretty much you know the the easiest way to put that <laughs> whole conversation. Um, but I mean, so have you ever converted, I don't know if convert's the right word, but have you ever shifted one of your your friends or somebody within your circle to kind of your, your current thought process? Yeah, there's been a few. Um, so how did you go about you- that? Because I'm asking more so, obviously, I have the podcast and you made a good point that really got me thinking, when people are so entrenched in it, I mean, you say no excuses, and they're just going to say, "Screw this guy, I'm not listening anymore." Yeah. So, I mean, wh- how did you approach people that are so entrenched in it? And I don't know. I mean, maybe just how, how can how can I potentially, how can other people potentially kind of get through to these people um, that are really just so insulated in you know the thought process of you know that they have.
1: Well, you know, sometimes it's just a story. Um, like I know for myself, a lot of times i would had good friends and I would just be talking about what I'm doing in life. And they look at the way you live and they're like, oh, hey, well, how can I have that? You know? And it's like you're telling a story when you talk about your own life. Um, so sometimes when you come at it from the informational standpoint, it's, it's rejected. But when it's a story, people's minds are just wide open and... Um, I, I'll give you an example. There was a gentleman I talked to the other day, you know, and he grew up out here in, in the segregated South. You know, he was a black gentleman. And we've done a lot of business together. And his story was just so phenomenal. Uh, he was a, a supervisor at this uh, particular company. And so he's, you know, just hammered away doing work, but he could never really move up. And he had this dream to quit his job, and start a cleaning company and this was 10 years right after the segregation so I mean talk about the risk for him to take this leap of faith he was scared to death absolutely scared to death and somebody just you know took him aside and said you know what you'll be able to accomplish anything that you put your mind to it because you're, you're the hardest worker in the room you'll, you'll be able to accomplish it he quit that day and a week later, he was picking up more accounts than he knew what to do with. And he, it was just like a lot of it was timing and things like that. But to this day, the guy's like he's in his late 60s and he just works a ton of, uh, of hours. He's got plenty of employees. But even when he has an opportunity to go fishing, sometimes you can tell he'd rather just go to work. He loves work, you know. But his story was just inspiring to me because he uh, – he was afraid of an obstacle for multiple reasons that not all of us even have to worry about, but he, um, he was able to overcome it. And I think like stories like that, I was, I kept telling him, I was like, man, you know what? People need to hear that story. You don't know how many people are just sitting at their offices. Like they're terrified and they need to hear this story because it could inspire them and break them out of it. And that's what I like about money with clay. You've had a few of these, uh, these guests on there that they tell their story and how they were scared or like they were really nervous about it or they they came up against a crunch time and they they had to overcome and it's a reminder that we're all going through that same thing and some of these people are very nice they're they're very generous they're giving they're kind people and I think that resonates because you start to say you know what I want to be like that person. You know, if, if we were to interview somebody that was just hardcore cutthroat and stuff like that, a lot of people would be repelled by it, like that what a jerk, you know, like this is what this is why we don't wanna <laughs> be like people like that. But you find that the majority of stories are just wonderful people that really got their act together and they sincerely just wanna better themselves as a human being and they wanna take a lot of other people with them.
0: I I like that a lot and it makes sense because if I'm putting yourself, or if I'm putting myself in your buddy's shoes, and they look, I'll look at Ethan reading that book. Oh, he's reading a book. Okay, th- that's all kind of theoretical. But if I'm looking at Ethan, oh wow, Ethan, you got th- okay. Oh, Ethan, all right. Um, okay, yeah. now he's doing that. Oh, what? Oh, uh, uh, Ethan. Oh, man. Hey, what yeah. are you? Hey, what's your? I mean, I saw you reading a book a long time ago, but I mean now I see all this other things that are actually happening. So, I mean, more so. Less talk, more action. Is that kind of a summary of how you think is best way to get through to people? Is you just kinda gotta show them through action and the way you live and outcomes of things and, and you don't come at them like you said with just a bunch of random facts. You gotta yeah. you know, just let them observe how your life is unfolding.
1: Well, you know, even if you don't do anything with your life and you're kind of just a slug, <laughs> you know, a couch potato or whatever, and you're not really making your life happen, you'll still have people criticizing what you do. So you might as well do something that's, that you love and that's worthwhile. Jim Carrey, he had an amazing quote. Um, not, not just a quote. He was telling a story. Um, he said that he watched his father, who was a very funny man as well, and he loved music. Uh, he, he joined a, a band and he was really good at it. And his dream was to be a, a musician, you know. But when he started to have kids and this family was getting bigger, he really felt like he had to stop doing that and just get involved. in. I think it was either bookkeeping or accounting, you know. And he said it wasn't too much longer that his company folded where he was working and he was out of a job. And he watched how it really broke his dad. That here he did what he thought he had to do for his family and he still failed he says you can fail at anything you might as well do something you love you know and so just it like don't look for the safe because nothing is safe and when I look back at the times where I had a job it that's really the most scariest thing I am terrified of getting a job because right now I have 1500 clients in this county and in the surrounding area. If I lose one customer, it's not going to break me. But if you have one job and you lose it, that's a scary place to be in. So talk about diversity. You know, and it's true, you know, I could break a leg and can't work at all. But um, you know, that, that would be the case too with a job. So you, you just, you might as well just do something that's a little more beneficial because you can absolutely fail at something you don't like. So you might as well fail at something you love.
0: No, absolutely. Now let me, and I know this is not what you're saying, but just to clarify, if you love, um, I don't know, dancing in the rain, let's say, sure you love it, (laughs) but what you're not saying is, you know what, just pursue it to the max. So go and get $100,000 in student loan debt to get a degree in dancing in the rain. And you know what? If you fail because there's no jobs out there for dancing in the rain, you know what? At least you failed doing something that you love. That's not what you're saying, correct?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people, they accept the debt, though, only for one reason, because it's a promise. They believe on the other end of it is a promise for the roadmap to be set before them. And that's just one of the biggest frauds that's ever been perpetrated. You know, there is no golden uh, road on the other side of, of school. Uh, if you don't know how to talk to people and engage and have a passion for what you do, it doesn't matter what subject you take. When you get to the other end, there could even be a vacuum for uh, what you do and you could be skilled. But if you don't have other basic skills, there there's going to be other people jumping in front of you. So there is no guarantee on anything so you know find out what you love to do Uh, your most of your student debt is not going to give you uh, you know your school's not going to give you an absolute guarantee of anything anyways so why would you take all this added burden and risk when you really don't know for the other side that it's it's going to take you somewhere now if you start your own business you're you're also going to have debt you're also going to have risk but you're more in control of that because you're actually doing it. You know what I mean? And Whereas you may do a uh, some sort of uh, schooling that will take you five years and not even know if it's going to be there for you when you get out. So at least with your own business, you're doing it immediately. You're out there talking to people and you're, you're executing and all along the way you're making mistakes, you're tripping, you're failing. And every single one of those things is an education. There's nothing comfy about it. So as long as you're out of that comfort zone all the time, you're learning and growing. In school, it's not that way. Yeah, you might have to, you know, have some tests and stay up late or something like that. But the that's you don't really learn anything other than just the actual platform of what you're trying to study. You know what I mean? Like you don't learn how to engage, you don't learn how to network you don't learn how to overcome obstacles and things of that nature. It's kind of all set out for you for a price.
0: I I fully agree and as we've talked about in past podcasts, this is why, and I'm sure we're on the same page here, but while you're getting a degree, a a valuable degree, and let's see, I'll I'll make this point then I wanna kind of circle back because I think I know what you're talking about, but you develop all those things that Ethan has described, a degree is not gonna teach you, how to talk with people how to manage your time, how to, you know, just make yourself a worthwhile person, just how to be a team player by picking up part-time jobs. And that could be flipping burgers, that could be doing many things while you're getting your degree, but there are so many benefits towards working part-time jobs while you're getting a degree, not necessarily right. from a monetary perspective. That's what drives me nuts is people are like, well, a part-time job doesn't pay me enough. Well, you gotta look at the other attributes that you're gaining from that part-time job, such as, you know again, just how to deal with people as a very, uh, you know, simplistic one. Um, so, I mean, there are, I, Ethan makes a great point. There is way too much out there of well just because I have a piece of paper hanging on my wall, that means I'm gonna be really good at it. And that includes, uh, I'll take myself, for example, as, as an engineer, high demand for engineers. But if I'm out there and I'm either a jerk, or I just, um, I don't listen, or I, I'm ha, ha, hey, ha, 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 and I don't <laughs> know how to talk to people, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's good, I, I like your 4.0, but, you can't communicate, or you're a jerk, or nobody wants to work with you, or you're impossible to work with. Eh, that's that's kind of rough. So would you would agree, Ethan? Nothing wrong with degrees, but people should definitely be you know partaking in part-time jobs that'll just teach them life skills as they get the degree.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you should get involved in education. You know, I I do education all the time. Like education is wonderful, but it's not the golden ticket. You know what I mean? So uh, you had a podcaster a little while ago, and I know you, this would probably be like played a while, but I, I think he was a fellow engineer and he kept talking about like going and get apprenticeship, like just you're learning, but then you go to a company and even if you have to work in their mail room or you have to, you know, like dump their trash, be in that environment. That's when I heard that, I was like, that's it right there. Do something because yes, the degree is great, and you'll you'll have that finality, but if if you think that's your golden ticket and you don't need to do anything else, like you're really fooling yourself. And I see a lot of people doing that right now. Um, one of the guys that I work with, and he's he's got a janitorial company, right? He's he's hired three people with master's degrees to do janitorial work
0: because they can't find a job. Do you know he what their ma- the, Do you know what their master I, degrees in are in? Out of it, curiosity.
1: It's probably making cobbler shoes or something. <laughs> no, Dance, dancing in the rain. Dancing in the rain shoes or something. I don't know. He, he didn't mention what it was, but he says, and then he goes to the bank to cash his checks, and there's two people with degrees there. And and it's not even for what they wanted. And we're seeing this everywhere, that people are coming out of college, and they got these degrees, and they end up busting tables. That That is... is. It's sad. It's just so sad. And it's not the people, but I think they were sold an idea that somehow this is your ticket. All you need is this and you'll be fine. And that is just a blatant lie.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll disagree. Uh, you said you think they were sold a bill of tickets. No, they were sold a bill of tickets. There's no thinking about it. You are right. absolutely right. And that's what drives me insane um, about high schools these days. And in fact, you know I want to, we'll bring this up. We'll do, uh, um, a live little, um, what do I want to call it? Kind of, I, I got it because this fits perfect. Until you know what people are being sold, how people you know in high school are are, are being led into you know their thought processes and stuff. But uh, let me find this real quick. So articles, uh, uh, somebody sent this to me, and the title, uh, Ethan, of this is uh, "Teacher Fired for Refusing to Give Credits or to Give Students Credit for Homework Not Turned In." And basically, um, the policy of the school was that even if a student doesn't turn in any work, they get a 50% grade. So this teacher was like, no, if you don't turn anything in, you don't, you, you, you fail, you get a zero. There's, right. there's nothing you get. Um, and the last quote of this article, and this is the quote of the teacher, I'm so upset because we have a nation of kids that are expecting to get paid and live their life just showing up and it's not real. And I think that's perfectly summarizes what you're saying. The bill of right. goods that is being entrenched—it's not real. When you have—and I really hope this is just like a needle on a haystack type example. I hope this is not no, like commonplace no, this, at school. This is very commonplace. Is it really yeah. in, in high schools well, these well, days? Well, think,
1: think about because I—we live right next to a university, and I talk to college kids all the time. But check this out—you—you—you you, you nailed this on another podcast as well. Okay, the government funds these loans, not funds it, but they guarantee the loans. Okay, that means, and I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but you, it, one day you, if you get injured or something happens, you want to file bankruptcy, there's, there's like your house. You can't keep your house and file bankruptcy, right? So, I mean, you might be able to keep your house, but you got to still keep paying on it with bankruptcy. But all your credit cards, they're going to go away with the bankruptcy. Now, guess what? A student loan? Oh, yeah, it'll it go away. Of, it stays there, and yep. when you get when you get really elderly and you're on Social Security, they're going to take it out of your Social Security, and this has become a growing trend. Okay, so the colleges says, "Man, well, you know what? Um, how can we bring in more students because we're going to get more money." So how can we bend it to get more people to come in? Like, we'll just color the details a little bit. We'll make it seem a little more appealing and we're going to just bring in people and hey, if they don't succeed, that's their problem. And that's the attitude that's being driven because it's by a bunch of markers. And you know all about that too, because you <laughs> you and uh, uh, Chez talk about this all the time in the, the stock uh, reality podcast, how there's people who say, hey, just follow my stock twits and bam, you're going to be rich. And people will pay large sums of money to for that dream. And the reality is completely the opposite. It takes hard work, right? So it's the same thing with that. This All you have to do is just sign here, we'll get you the loan, we'll get you that degree, and you'll be on the way to a successful career. And that is just a lie. It does not work that way. There's a lot more to it.
0: And to pile on, it's actually, I mean, it's more, it's wise smart work or hard work. What do I mean by that? Well if you're breaking a sweat and you're just drenching in sweat and you are breathing hard and you are just, I am training for baseball, I wanna be a baseball player, I mean this is, I am working hard, I'm working up at 5 a.m., I'm doing this, that, and the other, I am working hard. And you're like, wow, this person is working really hard. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, but, but you know, and, and, and they pull out a tennis racket and you're thinking, uh-oh, So just because you're working hard, if you're working very, very hard for baseball but you're using a tennis racket, I don't know, that brings (laughs) up a whole philosophical debate about is that really hard work? Uh, Maybe it's hard, stupid work. So uh, what we're saying is you could be working really hard in school, but if you're working really hard in school, uh, to get some sort of dancing in the rain degree because to Ethan's point, somebody is making it seem like the other side of the rainbow is gonna be fine and dandy. yeah, that's that's not how that's- it works. and the the, the the final part here is this is where personal responsibility comes in because you can go and there are tons of sites, there is tons of information on the internet where you can just type in something called job market of dancing in the rain. Job market, you know uh, you know projected growth of dancing in the rain. And guess what? There, there's probably not going to be much job demand or job growth for dancing in the rain. So, do you really think you should be going into deep debt to get that sort of degree? I get it. People are, and this is why, I, I, and that's why I never blame people because it's sad when high schools and such, who are supposed to be, you know, guidance counselors, guidance, and here they are guiding people, encouraging people to go to these schools and get degrees that are worthless. I mean, what do you what do you expect from the kid? Right. I mean. You know what I'm saying, Ethan? Yeah. I'm they, kind of ranting right now. I don't mean right. to keep on going. No, but. You're,
1: but you're absolutely right. Like, and even about that teacher you were saying that she got fired because she she didn't give a grade. That really messed up, that messes up their marketing. It's like, we need to have people graduating so we can have a flow of, of students. And if we don't show certain numbers, then you're messing up our our cash flow. And that is more important than honesty sometimes. So. Um, it's kind of a problem that's going on and I think more people are waking up to it and college used to be an institution that really made people prepared for life and it's it's become such a marketing scheme now that a lot of people are, are getting jaded by it um, there's a lot of marketing involved in it that's that's twisting the truth kind of altering it and then people you know they find out at the end of the term they're like wait a minute they kind of sold me a bill of goods that wasn't what I what I thought it was, in fact, like that consumer law thing that I was showing you, there's plenty of articles showing how they literally lied to the students to get them to get into a loan. and it's it's starting to come out more and more. And so, you know, if a person really wants to go to college, there are a lot of podcasters about people that talk about being successful just you know even with college, but they they talk more about, all the other nuances, what you need to do in order to be responsible so that way it does go well with
0: you. Yeah, not to um, offer up a plug, but I'll plug anyways. My Slab course has an entire section on how to choose college and it's an hour long and I literally go step by step. First you do this, then you research that, and then you look at this. So, um, But yeah, Ethan, yeah. I'm not saying that I offer the only, but there's so much information out there that uh, you know can help you make these good decisions because they really are, Life-altering decisions. Ethan, you mentioned how they'll, you know, start to get your Social Security when you get older. Just the last podcast I recorded, or a couple ago, I don't know when this one will post, but it was about the horror stories of, you know, bad decisions. And some uh, woman, she got a, I, I don't know what it was, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, I think, to get a master's of psychology or something. And you know, the other part that we haven't even talked about is the late fees and the interest and all that sort of stuff. And in this case, because she had stopped paying for a while. Over time, that hundred fifty thousand dollars balance ballooned up to like three hundred thousand yeah, dollars, and uh, now all I of a sudden that, yeah. she's sitting there worried about her social security because the government's going to start to tap into that, and it's it all goes back to these are very life altering decisions, and it, that's why it's so irritating because the guidance counselor is supposed to guide you, but that's why as, as you you have kids, right? Yeah. So as parents, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day. You can't rely on the system. You gotta grab the bull by the horns, not only as an individual, but as parents too, to you know, actually be the guidance counselor for your kids and let them know, hey, I, I probably don't think that's the right decision. Um, so again, I'm, I'm ranting, but this is just, yeah. yeah. Th- there's no other topic that I, gets my blood boiling more than the scam that is college education.
1: Yeah, and I would recommend anybody that's kind of looking to which direction they should go into, whether it should be college or whatever, there's a lot of places where you can find people that are actually working and one thing I would recommend highly is uh, join the chamber of commerce as an individual and usually it's really inexpensive and ask if you can be a part of their ambassadors program a lot of them have that where you, you know if you they need they have packets to deliver to all these businesses you'll get to go in and meet the owners you'll be able to shake their hands you know if you have time on your hands do something like that. Start asking questions. Ask them, you know, how do you get business and, you know, what kind of business are you looking for so if I hear something, I can bring them to you. That type of thinking will, will really help to stimulate your ideas and it will also kind of uh, solidify your face in the community. Uh, there's Business Networking International or other networking uh, uh, places that you can go out and meet play- people. Have you heard of Toastmasters? I
0: have not.
1: Toastmasters is kind of like a speaking group and I was never part of that but uh, I was a part of BNI and I was their education coordinator and just getting up in front of an audience and speaking all the time, it does wonders and it establishes you as a professional. So Toastmasters teaches you how to do public speaking and it's a non-profit. You can find it in a lot of communities but uh, it's it's on the internet so there's a lot of ways that you can go out and meet business professionals and especially a place that teaches public speaking you're you're gonna find some pretty awesome people out there you know that um, have to deliver their products sales or whatever and they're they're trying to better themselves so you might be nervous scared young what am I gonna do but by surrounding yourself with that and just being observant you, you realize like I'm just like everybody else it's okay and you may see something that'll just spark your attention like i want to do what he's doing then you sit down and talk with them and a lot of them are very open with their time they'll, they'll they'll listen to you or or even mentor you if if you can feel like you have something to offer and as you talk to them they may say no this is how you go about it this is the course and this is how i did it and you can do it too and you may find that maybe some colleges involved maybe no colleges involved but If you go to a guidance counselor, I can guarantee the thing that the guidance counselor is an expert at, an expert, is how to be a guidance counselor.
0: (laughs) I I love that. (laughs) That's, no, you're absolutely right. (laughs)
1: You you can guarantee that, but if it's anything else, you don't have the experience. I mean, it's like, there's, can you imagine in college they have business courses on how to run a successful business and if you ask these people so what's your experience running a successful business? you'll find that most of them never ran a business. So it's bookwork They don't you know they can tell you how to teach a class on it. They're experts at that but to actually run a business that's a completely different. Story. They don't have the street knowledge and and the know how to do it.
0: You know that's the, that's a great point. I mean, just from the and I, we're not actually. I am. I mean, if you're one of these guidance counselors that's telling that's selling people a bill of goods, then yeah, you're a scumbag. But uh, so, I, but I'm not saying this towards all <laughs> guidance counselors out there. But you're right. I mean, I think most guidance counselors obviously have some sort of a, probably like a psychology degree, basic one or, or something of that nature. And yeah, psychology degrees depend on how much I paid for it. They're probably sitting there drowning in student loan debt and then counseling kids on, to basically do what they did to get themselves in the drowning in debt, it's, that, I can't believe you brought that up, but that's like a a, a sick and twisted irony of kind of our educational system. I mean, yeah, that'd be an interesting stat to know. Yeah, if- what are the debts, debt statistics on guidance counselors? I bet they're not very pretty. Um, and I think that these are the people guiding high schoolers as they go off to make like one of the biggest financial decisions in their life, that is a scary thing. Right.
1: Yeah, I would think like if you're gonna be an engineer like in your line of work, and I don't know much about it, but like a a guy that teaches math, uh, he could just, you know, if he teaches math, it's fine. Like that's perfect for his job. But somebody that actually does the actual hands-on and has worked in that industry it would be nice to learn from somebody that was actually an engineer that practiced not just book work because they're going to tell you things that books don't necessarily tell you and so it would be nice to see more teachers like that and there are teachers in colleges or high schools that have worked for a long time and they've um they've had that experience and they can kind of direct you i think you had a a, a a guy on a while back, I think it was that engineer because he's, he ran into some people, like I guess it was out of high school, that they know people in the community and they can refer you. And oh, it was a community college one, the guy that learned from a community college. And he, he found that that was one of the most valuable things for him because these were teachers that actually were out there experience and they, they went back to teaching because they loved teaching, not because it was just the, the only job they could get.
0: Right, right, and you remember that yeah now, the one thing you said, Ethan, that I wanted to harp on real quick was you know you made a comment about you know if you want to get ahead, you know you can join the, the conference, you can go and you know just pretty much put yourself in uncomfortable situations, maybe even scary situations, especially if you're younger. but think about that uncomfortable and scary that means it's for everybody. and most people don't do things that are uncomfortable and scary. So imagine if you actually do do that when you cross that bridge because you just worked up enough courage, you're gonna be standing over on the other side of that bridge with very, very few other people. And when you are one of the few that have done something, guess that, I mean, that gives you the upper hand in life in just whatever you are doing. So I I get it. Things can be scary. Things can be uncomfortable. And I'm by no means perfect with this in life, uh, but I have done some things in life where I have done things that were scary and uncomfortable and um, you know now things have turned around a little different. A quick story yeah. since Ethan uh, for my other business um, I started a YouTube channel and I'm, I'm quite shy by nature and uh, the, the the producer of this podcast was like, hey let's let's get you on camera, let's do some videos And I I'm pretty sure beads of sweat fall into my head and I was like uh, I don't, uh, long story short, I, I, I hopped out uh, because I think that a lot of people, that's unknown, that's scary, that's kind of nerve-wracking. Wait, put myself on video on YouTube? But you know, to, I, I stepped out, I crossed that bridge, and now the, the other channel that I have, I, I think we're approaching 150,000 subscribers, so I got the cool plaque hanging on the wall from YouTube because I hit the 100,000 mark, but that's just an example where find things that are unsettling, that are scary, that are uncomfortable, because those are where the opportunities are because most people don't want to do that. Would you agree with all that? I mean, scary, Ethan, uh, is opportunity.
1: You nailed it big time. Um, I actually started uh, about two years ago a YouTube channel and I was just kind of toying with it and putting myself out there and just showing what my family's doing. It, It really didn't have a purpose. It was just mostly like editing and having fun. But, man, when you upload that first time and you see people are watching and they comment, it is one of the most scariest things. Like, to see yourself as a third person, it freaks you out. But you know what? Over time, I started to get more comfortable. It gave me more confidence. (laughs) I think everyone should do a YouTube channel, even if it's for a month or so, just upload and just watch like yeah, you remember that first time when that camera
0: turned on? How you're like? Well, <laughs> the first time for me is, uh, we, I guess it was a camera, but we used a cell phone. Now we have a lot more fancy gear, but literally, um, so really, kind of yeah. no excuses, especially in this day and age. Listeners, you can find a smartphone somewhere. Maybe you don't have a smartphone, but surely one of your friends or somebody's got a smartphone because that's what we started on. And you know, back then, smartphone cameras weren't nearly as good as they are now. Um, but yeah, I, I and I, I think it was yeah. my brother-in-law, Mark. Who uh, said? You know, one thing that's great is uh, to record yourself. And when you record yourself from a public speaking perspective, you can you'll notice a whole lot of things. Powerful. So to your point, I mean, putting so something powerful. on YouTube, yeah, you're kind of killing a bunch of birds with one stone, like you said, Ethan. That's kind of really nerve wracking. You know, oh great, now it's on YouTube, but uh, you know now you're also able to watch mm-hmm. yourself and and possibly improve on it. But I mean, think about what we're talking about. We're not talking about sitting on the couch being a lazy couch potato. We're actually talking about putting some effort into things. But that's where opportunities and that's where gaining the upper edge, you know, in life is you know actually created. Now, I can I love this. We're already fifty eight minutes in, and something I wanted to ask you way back when. But you are sure. a business owner, right, Ethan? <laughs> and yes, I, I, I guess walk is. I mean, what what is your business?
1: I, well, I, I clean flooring basically, I do carpet cleaning, but we do uh, upholstery cleaning, uh, tile, like ceramic tile cleaning, some wood floor, not not too, not too much of it, but uh, the main the main bread and butter
0: is. So is you are cleaning. a business owner of a floor cleaning company, fair assessment? So That's right. how, how did this oh, all yeah. start yeah. for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, I know a lot of people on here, we just talked about, hey, you gotta get out there and get, do it, get stuff done, so I mean, how did you, you, heard, you mentioned earlier that you have 1,500 customers. Um, I'm assuming you didn't start off with 1,500 customers, so yeah, walk us through kind of the building of this business. Yeah, basically
1: I had this um, janitorial company back in California, right? So a uh, friend of mine, much older gentleman, you know, like he was in Vietnam War back in the 70s, so this was in the 90s. Uh, just older gentleman, real good guy. He uh, had me working with him stripping and waxing floors, you know, and he's like, you know, I can get you into uh, your own business. I've helped a lot of people get into their own business. And my brain just said, oh, yeah, <laughs> really? Cool. You know, so I didn't know what it was going to entail, but um, I started subcontracting for him. So he's like, OK, here's how you kind of like invoice and things like that. He was showing me the ropes. And I worked for him as a subcontractor. Did you? But I'm I sorry, like, did you mention no, your age my... when
0: this was all occurring? You said 90s, but how old were you?
1: Hmm, let me think. I would say I kind of started when I was around 19, 20, 21,
0: somewhere and in you, there, did not, you early 20s. You didn't go to college, is that correct? I
1: went to. Um, a valley College, but it was a uh, junior college. What do they call them? Like, like a, a trade
0: school type community thing? Oh, community college. college? Okay. Yeah, it, it was a
1: it was a community college. Okay. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that a lot because I wanted to become like an electrician, not electrician, but I wanted to do electronics. I wanted to like maybe build electronics. And one time I met this uh, Asian girl that was there and she had a master's. And she said the only job she was able to find was an assembly line work. And that dashed my dreams. I knew other guys that were doing it, but I was like, I was like, this is crazy because I got this one friend, right? Like he's in kind of an engineer, like he's a troubleshooter for electronic company. I think at that time he was making $87,000 a year. All right. And he just got two years of community college and he was able to to land that job. And he said he could kind of get me into the entry level of that company. And then I had another older friend that had janitorial business and he was making a six figure income. No college education. Which one are you gonna choose? You know? So I was like, I like electronics, but the idea of running my own business I like even more. So I got into that and so I started to so you, so you get, from so him.
0: just so you got into it you you recognized a potential opportunity and you got your foot in the door by working for that older gentleman right
1: Yeah and, and I was still going to community college but I just kind of started to finish out my year I think I was there like a year and a half and um I just kind of finished it out and I just decided I'm just going to you know go into business for myself and I'll just I'll just be street smart book smart just read books you know whatever I need and he was always telling, you know, like showing me books about like how to think better and stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, that's the kind of person I am. So nice. And I wanted to keep doing that, you know.
0: What was, what did you start off doing at the job? Because we won't go down this rabbit hole. I don't want to rant and rave too much, but uh, there seems to be this lack of patience where people just show up. And if they're not making, you know, working their way up the chain right away, it's like, well, that's a scam. I'm out of here. Um, but, what did you start off doing? I'm, a, I'm assuming you weren't subcontracting right away. I mean, you probably started off at the bottom of the totem pole, right?
1: Well, well for about a year or so, maybe maybe about two years, I mean, we work in nights, uh, we'd, we'd go to, it was called the Wet Seal. Do you remember that clothing store back in I California? do, yeah, we were, yeah, I think their yeah. symbol
0: was WTSL, if I remember right.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we would go in there and uh, we'd strip and wax their floors. So we'd start at the first job around midnight, knock it out till about two in the morning rush over to another city, go to sleep in the van, wake up at five, knock out another one. We do this two to three times a week. I'd talk about like growing hair in your chest, man. This was hard work, right? So I was like, but I don't care. You know, like this is what it takes to learn, right? So I started learning how to strip and wax uh, these facilities. I got good at it. And then we lost that contract, but we had started picking up already a lot of little contracts around the way. So by the time I got married, I, I think I subcontracted them with him for maybe about a year or two, and then I got married, and it was like he wanted to gift to me a contract, and he did. And it was kind of like my wedding gift, like, here, you know, just go on your own and you'll be successful, and when we, when the ever- Wait a second,
0: wait a second, I'm, I'm cutting you off rudely because I can already see it right now. See, Ethan didn't do anything, he was gifted a contract, he had his whole business handed to him. But that's not what you're saying because it sounds like you showed up to work every day, you were a good employee, and you made yourself valuable to this person. Is is that safe? It's not like he just randomly gifted you this. It sounds like he liked you quite a bit and I'm assuming he liked you because you actually did a good job as an employee. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah. he. Well, let's put it in perspective. It was a Yeah, 400- put things in
0: perspective because I see it yeah. right now. Oh, he got a silver spoon in hand. He was given yeah, the contract. Yeah, yeah so oh, definitely boy, make sure so you set silver. things in context.
1: It was so silver. It was $695 a month contract. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it, it was
1: just kind of like something that was my own. I was still working for him doing other stuff and I was still subcontracting. But he's like, this will be your contract. And whenever they do um, extra work, like stripping floors, um, give me a cut of that, you know? So I had to work there every night, two, two hours a night, five days a week. When you add it up, it came up to like $12 an hour or something like that. It wasn't like major. But uh, to me, I was like, I got to figure a way to do this even better, you know? So I started knocking on business doors and just saying, you know, hey, I want to do some janitorial work. I know how to do it. And I had taken some classes in that in that city that taught you how to do bids. And so I tried to learn everything I could about doing bids, started going to business owners, and I started picking up contracts. So I created a route. And as I created that route, um, it just got bigger and bigger. And then people started getting my name, picked up better contracts. And eventually that one he gifted to me, I think I lost it two years later to another contract. But then the people that took it, I guess they underbidded, were so terrible they asked me to come back. And I said, you know what? I'm going to rewrite this contract better. So I think I got it up to like 900 or something. And it, it was a much better contract. And I held on to that probably for an additional five years until they just kind of switched everything up and I didn't work for them anymore. But that's really what it took was just knocking on business doors, trying to meet people and talk talking to them. And it's really discouraging because you get a lot of people saying, you know, we're not interested. You know, don't, no, no, no. Don't you see the signs? No soliciting. You get a lot of that. But one guy told me, he says, you know what, sometimes you got to knock on 100 to get one. So just knock on 100 doors. I was like, okay. So I'll knock on 100 doors. And I think it was more like 12. And then I picked up another one. I was like, well, that wasn't too bad. But maybe I was lucky, right? So I'll just keep going. And uh, three more picked up another one. I'm like, this is not as bad as I thought. <laughs> but
0: but I just, I was What was your sales pitch? Do you remember what you said? Because it sounds like you have a pretty high conversion rate.
1: Yeah, so as a young person, you have it in your head, I'm too young and I'm dealing with older business people so they're not going to respect me. So I would, I would show up with a suit coat on to do janitorial, nobody does that. So I came with a suit, tie, um, I would make sure I had a really nice folder with some of the companies that I worked with, um, kind of the companies that I did. I had it all typed out, Like I kind of like a proposal so I could kind of flip through it and show them what I do. And if they would allow, allow me to give an estimate, then what I would do is I would write a proposal better than any proposal they've ever seen. So one way to do it was, um, like say there was this medical building I did. So I would, when I said the process, instead of saying I'll strip and wax your floor, i say, okay, we'll remove uh, all the trash cans and put them on the desk. We'll, we'll slide out all the chairs and sweep under your desk. We will uh, dust mop all areas of the VCT tile. I mean, I would break down the steps one after another, right? And so when they got their proposal back, it would sometimes be like 10 pages thick. Most guys would say, hey, we'll clean your facility, we'll do this, dust mop, we'll dump your trash, da da da." here's your price and be one, cha- one page. Then I would put it on a thicker piece of paper. And on the front page, I had my logo. I had a real nice, uh, you know, something that said it was the company was like absolutely clean at the time. And I would put that in the front, my business address, which was my home address. And I would put like a clear plastic on top and the folder would be kind of thick. So that proposal would cost me about $2.50 just for the paper. But I knew when they touched it, they'd be like, this guy knows what he's doing, right?
0: (laughs) So. Even though you were a young kid, like you said, perceived value. I was scared out of my
1: mind, because I was thinking, man, they're not gonna accept this price, you know, it's too high, and that found out it really wasn't that high. I could have charged more, but, you know, you just don't really know what to ask, even though you're doing the numbers, you, you still tend to underestimate what's all involved, and so I've gotten better with that over the years, but that's what I had to do, because, they just saw a 20-year-old kid coming in there. I had to give them something that made it look like I knew what was going on. And really, I did because that paperwork, I didn't realize until many years later that, you know, when you shine your shoes, you come in a nice suit, and you got that. It's not just song and dance, but it really shows a lot about you. It means that you care. You really do care, and that's going to come across. And when you reach over and you shake their hand, you look them in the eye, and you – just start having a conversation they kind of open up and want to know about your business it's a really cool feeling because you start to create a relationship with that person and then once you're their friend then that relationship continues on and when you have disputes not disputes but like have problems or whatever and you just kind of go out of your way to make sure that they're happy or calm and follow up on it They're like, I like this guy, and they will not lose you. Like, they don't, it doesn't even matter if another person comes in with a lower price. They're like, no, this guy is with us. He's good. And we just don't want to go anywhere else. Because a lot of, most companies have had bad experiences to find somebody that will care about their work and do a good job. It's, it's, it was rare then. It's really rare now and i think i built up to like 12 15 accounts and it was it was having me work all night and i had one person helping me and so how did
0: uh, how long did the 12 15 accounts take to build
1: i think it took me about 2 years
0: okay yeah and and, I, and that
1: really wasn't like how many trying. Do-
0: how many doors did you did you knock on get ballpark estimate
1: I would say in upwards of sixty or so. It wasn't like okay. it wasn't too tremendous. I was thinking I was going to have to knock on a thousand doors to get a you know ten accounts. Yeah, I thought that
0: number was going to be a lot higher. But it, it sounds like a suit. You laid out a, a beautiful business model that I can see how would put yourself well ahead. I mean, you're doing things that most people don't with this suit. You're you're actually putting some money into. Very nice paper, but like you said, when they felt that paper, oh, okay. Think right. about it. Like they just felt the paper, and they're automatically the human brain's telling them, oh, this guy must be different than the rest. Yeah. And I would say your conversion rate to have 12 to 15 accounts on 60 doors, that seems like a super high conversion rate. So I, there's clearly some proof in the pudding here that what you did actually worked.
1: Hey, and I, I started realizing, well, I guess I'm good at sales. You know, I didn't think of myself as an expert, but, uh, It just things were working so I'm like well I'll just keep doing this Um, then I talked to this guy that he owned a janitorial uh, retail where he sold all the products and this guy was a very wealthy man he used to run a multi-million dollar janitorial business and he kind of like would always tell me these little ideas here's what you should do you know just go in here and do this and that and I was like okay yeah whatever you say I mean if if this guy is making a couple million dollars (laughs) he might know what he's saying so (laughs) I would take notes, you know, and I was like, okay, that's what I'll go ahead and do. But he told, started telling me, he said, why don't you get into carpet cleaning? You know, you could make a lot more money. I mean, you could probably do about anywhere from five to $15,000 a week. I'm like, what? Really? I'm like, okay, well, tell me about it. And he started telling me, and he says, you know, go, go door to door. And he said, you'll find that about after every, I think he said somewhere around 10 to 20 doors, you're going to get one job and you can go in there kind of like clean one spot and then set up an appointments and let them know if you're not happy for any reason we just part ways with the handshake that's fine you know and uh so I did that and yeah knock on door I'd go street after street after street and I started picking it up and of course each time you get that one customer they're telling their friends and then those friends now did you have your friends. suit on yeah absolutely. there we go I love it you're
0: mute so, okay so you wear in the suit and you start knocking on doors street by street how many accounts did this build you up once again
1: it it got a little tiring after a while because it seemed like I was knocking on more doors than um, getting jobs and uh, plus I was doing the janitorial already so it, it was really hard to manage to juggle all that right? So, uh, I met another guy. I love it, man.
0: You're sorry to cut. You're just out there hustling. You're already working your janitorial stuff. Is that the, still the, the the where you're working at nights pretty much?
1: Yeah, I was. It's funny when you say that because <laughs> you're after- kind
0: of like Batman at at <laughs> night you're, you know, the Batman of floor cleaning and then during the day you're the Bruce Wayne of building your empire by doing going door knocking by expanding into the carpet. Yeah. This is good stuff.
1: You know It was weird because I and again, dude, like really Clayton. I was thinking about that at that time. All I could see how I was failing it, it like it's sometimes it was kind of crushing because I was like, man, I've been doing this this long and this is all I have. And I was like paying the bills and stuff. I wasn't rich or anything, but it was like a struggle, you know, and I just that doubt kept creeping in like you're just you're failing. You're not really doing it good, you know, and it's when I look back at it and you say it like that. It's like, yeah, I was hustling, you know, but I still had that mentality that lingered on your head like you're just going to fail. You know, now how
0: did you how did you push through that though? Because I I appreciate the honesty. You know, we're not sitting here, um, you know, preaching that everything is going to be beautiful rainbows and butterflies. I mean, there's going to be hardships. I mean, that's part of building a business and kind of taking life under control. But how did you personally just fight through those those self doubts?
1: I I didn't care because it was like I had pride. You know, it's it's like this was mine. I'm doing it. I wasn't working for someone else and just having that freedom, meeting people like that really felt good in my heart. And so even though I wasn't the successful person I viewed myself as, I just saw like, you know what? I'd rather be doing this than anything else. It just felt right. You know what I mean? And I figured if you just keep doing it, it's going to get better. So anyways, this guy who owned a company that I named my company after, but he was in California, so he he had a business called Quick Dry, you know. And he said, "You know what? What I did was I just went to the newspaper and I created a flyer and I started zoning a different areas, hitting zip codes, you know. And it would be like send out ten thousand flyers to each zip code because I got more work than I know what to do with." And he told me a price to to match and everything, and I say really 300 bucks I was like man that's a risk (laughs) I didn't really have $300 to you know go on so I was like okay and I think it was right around that time that's when I lost that account the guy gifted to me and it was just kind of like uh oh like I have I need some money and all I had was my rent money and I needed to get more jobs and I was like screw it I'm just going to go ahead and spend the money on those flyers and i had like 2 to 3 weeks before my rent was due and i just did it and my wife was like i can't believe you just spent her money you on took that. the plunge i it was the leap of faith it yes, was totally big time. Leap of faith. and um i was like i hope my wife's not right because like she's going to be sad you know like she's going to feel like and it might confirm that i'm a failure you know and so I remember getting up that morning, and it was like I don't know seven thirty-eight. I was tired, you know, from working at night, and my phone rang. Right, and I pick up the phone. And I'm all, you know, hello, absolutely clean. Yeah, uh, I got this flyer here. I was like, cool. It's <laughs> like it's working, right? So I where did you know, Where
0: did you put the flyers at?
1: Oh man, well, so I put it through a newspaper called the Sun. Oh, okay, so
0: it was like a newspaper ad then.
1: Yeah, it wasn't in the newspaper, but it was like an insert. Oh, so, gotcha.
0: Insert. Okay. Yep. That makes yeah.
1: sense. Yeah. So they, it was a really good deal. You know, like for three, for three hundred bucks, approximately, you get ten thousand flyers out. And if you get one tenth of one percent, you pretty much will make very good money. So yeah, the phone rang, picked up the job, and I saw my wife, "I got a job, really? Yeah, I got a job." So phone rang again. I'm all.
0: How much? How much was goodness. that first job for? This is like.
1: I think it came out to like 79 bucks. Like Okay, that, all right. Back so then it wasn't up. a lot, but it, hey, it man, was, I'm, I'm, it was I'm,
0: working, you know? 79 divided by what, 300. I mean right there, that's uh, that's 26% return on investment so far. So Exactly. not not too shabby. Keep well, on going though, because you just said the phone rang again, so yeah, let's keep I, I crunching by, numbers.
1: By the end of the week, I picked up like seven to 10 jobs, something like that. I'm like, okay, I got the money to do another week. I'm gonna do it again. And I just kept, every week I did 300 to $350 advertising and it kept me going. And i like
0: like, when Sorry, what yeah. was the average job price? Right around 80 bucks? It was about
1: 125, 105, somewhere in there.
0: The it, average, it, it would, so? Yeah, it would get up there.
1: Because, you know, like sometimes you'd, do, you'd add on their furniture. And this is, I'm pushing around a portable at that time. I didn't have a nice setup. So, I mean, I'm lifting this thing up out of the van and everything. But it it started averaging out about 125, you know, and I would pick up some jobs were bigger than others. You got sometimes you'd add Scotch Guard and things like that. So it started growing and and just being out there marketing to people and selling to me, it was man, what an awesome experience. It, I just felt like man, it's, it's a rush, just, isn't it? Like it's when a total gr- rush. You get when you dickhead. create
0: money just for yourself. I mean, because you know we're both business owners, so I, I totally get the rush. It's it's at a point it's it's not because you're doing it for the money per se because oh I'm greedy, I want to buy a Lamborghini. It's it's the rush of holy crap, I didn't have money, but because of my own actions, <laughs> I just created more money.
1: Yeah. When you when you realize that you did it, it's like there's it nothing like it. And so it wasn't too much longer like the the next leap of faith was raising my price because if it works why would you mess with it right so but when you have to raise the prices that's a scary thing and so when i eventually did that i was like "Oh man, i really i messed up this time phone wouldn't ring a couple of days go by and suddenly phone rings no problem people were kind of like like it was like oblivious to a price change i'm like what and, and so I realized after doing this a few times, like, I, that you can get whatever you ask for in life, pretty much, you know, I don't think, I guess there's probably limitations to that. Elon Musk is obvious uh, example of getting whatever you want, in life. <laughs> Just, you know, he does some pretty outstanding things. He's an incredible example to what potential a human can do. But... The problem is we just don't ask enough because of our fears, right? So sometimes you need to ask a little bit more. If you, I like what that was said in a podcast not too long ago that uh, there was, a, I guess, it was a newscaster or something. He says if if you're um, something like if if you are more than seventy percent um, comfortable with your job, then you're not you're not doing enough or something like that. Do you remember that quote? I thought that. Was I do. Really I do. It was. Yeah. Um,
0: I. I don't remember the exact quote, but I definitely. I, I remember what you're uh, referring to, which was. Yeah. It was a great point that the guy was making.
1: You should always be a little uncomfortable. You know, don't, right. don't get too comfortable. And it, I mean, when you get to a certain place, you might want to ride it out for a while and be comfortable, but just realize you're not growing. So, if you want to grow, just always stand the little uncomfortable side. So. Um, education has always been a a part of my life Uh, i continue to learn and when we moved over to alabama it was kind of like a total reset i said okay fortunately we we bought a house the house doubled in price and we we told ourselves as a family if we're ever going to do this we're going to find a place where we can live kind of do a a good reset of where we want to live I have to start my business over. And I kind of did my due diligence and everything. I already had the knowledge in my head on how to do it. So I'm like, let's go for it. And when I did it out here, unfortunately, the system that I was using there didn't work here. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like, I thought I had the formula down. It didn't work the same. The advertising was completely different, but.
0: Um, how, how so, That's that's interesting.
1: Well, like, uh, I couldn't use the newspaper system here. Like, if I wanted to get 10,000 uh, newspapers out, it was going to cost me over two grand. And I'm like, I can't do that. I mean, my re- return would be terrible. Um, but it was weird because, like, word of mouth worked better than anything. And then I started finding coupon books and things like that. But I knew how to hustle, you know, and I knew to just keep asking and looking and asking and looking. And... I had more trust that I could just do it, but I I needed to really make sure. I think one of the things I learned the most restarting my business was you have to make sure that uh, you're not just too comfortable with the way things are. You have to always, like, again, I had to grow and not get complacent, like, oh, things are just going to pan out like they always have because I'm kind of used to it. I I put myself in a very uncomfortable situation. I was able to buy a house and things like that. We had some money coming from California, but um, I needed to get back out there and hustle again. And that was was a little difficult at first, but I found out that it was more about networking and people, word of mouth and things like that. The advertising, I started to leave the advertising behind. I did open up a phone book, uh, get a phone book advertisement, which I never did in California. And um, I started a, my website, things like that. And those things actually did really, really well. But the thing that got me the most work was B&I, Business Networking International. So it's you know, a group of people come together to share referrals. And I put myself in the position of education coordinator. When the, that spot came available, I started teaching people how to network. I didn't really know much about networking besides a little bit I've been doing, but I knew how to do research and then get up in front of an audience and give speeches. I wasn't afraid, you know. I mean, I I was nervous, but I wasn't scared because, like, everybody else there didn't really understand networking either. I remember, um, I wish I remembered this guy's name. He started BNI, but... And he turned it into a global organization. I thought, man, networking is really powerful, right? So he said, like, when you go to a networking group, right, he says, he said, raise your hand. How many people here have a product to sell? And Everyone raises their hand. All right, put your hands down. Now, raise your hand if you want to buy a product and no one raises their hand. He goes. That's the networking disconnect. You got to understand that you're here to network and not sell your product to people. You're here to get to know one another, find out who their contacts are, and build relationships off these contacts. And that's what really sparked me in that education because I'm like, there's a whole field of networking that I don't even understand. And I I was able to digest this information and convey it in a, in a way that people could understand. So we do that like. One hour a week we would network and people saying, oh, so you do carpet cleaning, huh? Like, yeah, I got this. And I I know these people. And I started just getting referrals constantly from that. And that really took off my business as well as the website, just, you know, getting rid of uh, spending money for advertising and just, you know, doing things on the Internet, networking. And and that's just the rest has been history. I've, I've stayed very busy ever since.
0: That's great, I love how you pivoted and you just, you didn't really come up with excuses, you maybe threw up your hands a little bit like, okay, well this is kind of a buzzkill, it's it, it's a little bit different here, but you know, you don't play the victim card or anything like that. How many, um, so you have 1,500 clients right now, correct? Yeah. And 15, how, okay, uh, you have a lot of clients, is that, that's fair, right? A lot of clients. Yeah, yeah. And how many people uh, work, uh, how many people do you employ?
1: Myself and one other person.
0: So how do how That's does, all we need? <laughs> well, how we do don't you pull that off? Then. A month. How do you have yeah, all? No, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you'll I'm do about here. ten.
1: You'll do about ten to fifteen houses a week. You know, it's uh, and some of them are businesses, so I mean, but you can bring in around two to twenty five hundred a week. You know, it's it's not it's not bad, and I I mostly go by myself. I only take my friend if you know we get really busy but I'm kind of in the sweet spot again where I just don't want to grow anymore and I feel like at 48 my my joints are starting to hurt a little bit I that's when I got into real estate last year I you know I got my real estate license I'm like I'm gonna sell houses I like houses I've you know kind of been doing that for a while but man selling houses to me it just I just didn't enjoy it Uh, I like to truly help a person and you'll find most people want to have their ears tickled, they don't want to really know the truth about their property, how much it's actually worth and things like that.
0: So no, I, I was just like, yeah. I, I've never, well, I guess I have sold a house but when I had my uh, degree, or not degree, my, um, my 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 license, there we go, when I had my real estate license, I quickly discovered that I really only like to work with people that were friends because then it was kind of just like hanging out. Hey, let's go look at a house. So I did help a couple friends, uh, acted as the buyer's agent. Um, but I also worked with just strangers, and I like I said, the tickling of the ears was kind of like, eh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, so this weird, isn't really yeah. quite right for me. And um, you know, luckily, now did you do the? Uh, did you get your license mainly to be a realtor, or did you get it mainly from the, the investment perspective? Because I know you're, you you've done some real estate investing.
1: Yeah, both. But I wanted to be a realtor. I figured, well, you know, it's a very successful uh, type of career. I'm already well connected in the community. So why not? You know, but after a while doing it and even getting homes for sales, like I'm not enjoying this. So like I'm, I'm backing out. Like it just did not resonate with me. So I'm like, well, back to the drama. What, what am I going to do? How am I going to transition out of this line of work? I do want to save it for another, you know, five to 10 years, maybe get my kid involved in it or something like that. But I, I want to transition out at some point. And then I was, you know, like I think I told you on the other podcast, that's when I was getting this other book about how to invest your money. I wanted to start some way of just saving my money for the next 20 years. And uh, so as I got into that, then I started studying, you know, about the stock market. I just want to know how it works. And I kept coming across you and that's how I found your other site. So um, I was like, huh, they call them equities, securities. That's exactly like real estate. I mean, this, the stock market is identical to real estate. You know what I mean? Instead of a,
0: Oh, absolutely, it's all
1: supply, a, a and a, supply and
0: demand. That's all it boils down to. Instead of a, a house, instead of a piece of dirt, you have a piece of paper known as, a, like you said, a security or a stock.
1: Right, and that's what the piece of paper is in real estate, you know, a title and all that. These are just security pieces of paper that have value because it's attached to a physical asset, you know? Uh, the same way in the security of a stock market. It's attached to a business, right? So there's really no difference. It's identical. I'm like, I understand this. Now how do I make money in doing it? And and then you uh, gave, gave us the icy cold truth about how you have to study and work hard to do this. And I was like, well, that's... That sounds pretty normal to me. I guess that's yeah. how you end Why can't more people be life? like you, where when you tell them,
0: <laughs> listen, it's not a little get rich, you know, quick overnight. It's actually takes a lot of hard work. I love how to you're like, thanks, Captain work, Obvious, yeah. but oh, so many people are like, hard work. Well, this person says that it's easy. I'm going to go with that person. It's like, well, you'll just have to learn the hard way.
1: When I took my real estate exam, um, I hadn't been back to school in a long time. So I'm like, everybody's oh, it's really, really tough, really hard. So I'd get up in the morning. I would take uh, different amino acids, drink some coffee, like anything to stimulate the mind. I'd get up at five in the morning. My brain was just racing. I'm like, yeah, ready to go. And I would do my classes online. And I was just nailing them, knocking them out one after the other. And after about like, I think it took like four or five months and I finished the real estate exam, took it past with 89%. Man, that feeling was incredible. I'm like, I can still learn. My brain's not too old, you know? So I'm <laughs> like, when when I started studying the stock market, it was just like, wow, what? It's a beautiful, interesting world out here. And so that's what I still do. I get up at five in the morning, I do my scans, I'll, I'll listen to some education. I just do that study every morning. I'm up at five. Either I'm going to go running in the morning and do my education after, or I'm going to get up. Uh, if I'm not, it's not my running day. I'll just do the education, do the scans that, that morning. But it's five days a week. That's what I do. And then I go to work the rest of the day.
0: What time does work start? Usually at 9. So you got yourself I a good- And can kind of adjust
1: that. Yeah, I can adjust that. I'd like to mess more with the, the opening market, but I'm paper trading now. So it's kind of like I don't really need to think about that too much. But I don't know. One day I'd like to talk to you more. Like I'm just trying to wrap my mind around that. Getting the right strategy because I think you're the one that you, you posted about Gern G E R N how it just dropped five dollars overnight. I was like, man, I'd hate to own that stock.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was a that was a crazy mover. Um, oh my! But that's goodness. why a lot of people like to use the options because when you use options gappers, um, you know, obviously a gapper can always help you out or it can uh, hurt you. But uh, with options, yeah. you know, you can hedge you against a lot of that. But as far as what I'm understanding, you essentially at this moment in time have created a four-hour window for yourself before you even start your your uh, your normal job, right? I mean, if you're waking up at five and then you go in at nine, I mean that's four hours to basically what you're putting into self improvement. Is that essentially kind of how your uh, schedule works?
1: Yeah, and then then of course I got my podcast. I earbud you know throughout the day while I'm working, it's between jobs or whatever. and I listen to all kind of stuff, not just you, but um, probably about like six or seven podcasts throughout the day. So it's it's really cool because like it's when my when my mind heads to burnout, like then I'll just put in music and blast it, but most of the time it's just information all the time and it's it's cool because you always feel like so stimulated by it, and the mind starts getting hungry for that stimulus to want more and more. Uh, it, it takes some getting used to at first because I remember when I first started listening to podcasts, I'd be like, okay, after an hour, I'm, that's it. But now it's like, man, I'm just hungry. I want more information. You just feel like there's there's so much in the world that we just don't know. No matter how much you know, you everything you learn, you realize there's like a 100 more things that you have no idea about. And you, just, you can explore it if you want. But I've been getting into uh, biohacking, of course the stock market and um what was the other podcast i'm into uh i think it's mostly just been about buying biohacking i've been doing a lot of that that's what is that's a biohacking so, so that you know that your your body and your brain um you know it functions at a certain level but there's little tweaks you can do to just kind of make it work better and when you get into um like especially you know i run I do a lot of running, things like that. There's just way to like to enhance yourself better, and a lot of it's simple, really simple things. It's just certain nutrition that you want to take in, when you take it in, whether you're in a keto diet or things like that. And uh, there's certain vitamins that can stimulate certain things for the mind to make make your mind work a little bit better. It's all about just having your trying to perform at peak performance. So biohacking's the new buzzword for it. Uh, Tim Ferriss gets into a lot of that and David Asbury there's different ones that they really get deep into it but I I would say I do a few things like the new thing that I'm into is ice baths. That is fascinating. That's a fascinating world If you ever get into it and it's it's incredible talk about waking up your mind. And it's <laughs> it's it's really weird your brain starts to work after you start to your you retrain your body to um, handle these extremes so like literally what happens on a cellular level is your body when it comes across an extreme uh, environment the cells go into this survival mode and so they will start to produce more blood vessels or in the surrounding tissue you'll also start to produce um, more mitochondria which is a battery for your cells so you go into this extreme environment you're producing all this mitochondria eventually you get out now you got all this extra mitochondria so your battery levels are just like supercharged all day long it feels great you sleep better your muscles are more relaxed you heal faster it's got a lot of cool benefits to it now if you just add nutrition to things and things like that, it starts to work. So when you when you start sitting down to like, say, study the stock market or study business or whatever, your mind starts working much clearer. And if you can think clearly about things, your strategies become more obvious, more evident, and you can formulate a little better. Does that make sense? It does. Like make- when you're kind of sluggish and tired, you just kind of just fall apart sometimes. You're like, oh, I can't deal with this anymore. But if you can see... If you can see your goals, right? Like If you can see the steps in between your goals, it makes your goals much easier to accomplish.
0: You know, that makes sense. I mean, I, and I have no data. I don't know about the, the ice baths or anything like that other than I know football players and, for example, after a practice will go and do that. But as far as rejuvenating and you know, giving you more energy, I don't know, sometimes my own my biohack is, you know, give me eight hours of sleep a night, give me some good nutrition, Fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, and those two things can yeah. go a long way. You know, again, I'm not yeah, saying that, I'm not saying nice stuff doesn't work, but at the end of the day, right, right. sometimes no, you know, keep it simple,
1: stupid. Yeah, no, what you said right there is absolutely important. That's eighty percent of it. If you don't get proper nutrition and sleep, you might as well like just throw all the other stuff away. Because what what good is another five to ten percent if you're missing out on that eighty percent? You know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. Like you, the other day, you posted a video about like you guys just going off and going you know doing the uh, boating and all that stuff like that is kind of a type of biohack in, in a way because when you get stuck in a rut you can't see the other options there in your life so when you kind of break that routine a little bit it your, your brain starts to get stimulated by that looking for new information and so it's important to just kind of get out of your routine a little bit put all your business away go on a vacation Meet new people. Do something you've never done before. You know, I I think it was a couple months ago I watched the solar eclipse. We drove to the line of sight where we were dead center. And, man, it took me weeks to get over that. It was so incredible. Like, if you see a partial eclipse or you see an eclipse on TV, it it's not even close to doing it justice. I mean, if you're not moved to tears when you see it, like, you just literally have not seen it, it, it shakes you to your core when you see it.
0: Yeah, I saw some things on, I saw some on YouTube, and yeah, I mean, I I thought, I'm like, wow, because some of these people filmed it in really, you know, pretty unique ways, but still, I'm sure it still didn't even come close to touching, uh, you know, if you were actually there and seeing how it it all unfolded. Um, I like to ask business owners this. Uh, You work with somebody, so I'm assuming you've hired them. How many people have you hired over the course of your uh, business building, business ownership, whatever you want to call it, career?
1: Yeah, maybe a handful, not, not too many. I, I've always kind of been owner operator, kept it simple. I tried to get a little bigger and I think, let's see, that was probably a time when I was up to five. It was so uncomfortable, I just didn't like it. I Being a business owner where you, you have employees, like that's been a, a pretty good uh, resistance barrier for me, but, uh, I found that just, you know, owner operator, you can really do well for that. It's, it's kind of like you're self-employed other, th- instead of being a business owner. Um, I like to, well, how can I put it? Like, there's a lot of things that I subcontract out, like, uh, my, like for a while I had all my phone systems subcontracted out, um, my office management's all in the cloud, things like that, where traditionally you would use employees, but I prefer to subcontract to other professionals to get things done and that, that works a little better for me.
0: And I, that, that's interesting and I, I, I can see how you, I mean, I have two people that work with me and it's just like, oh man, I don't know if I could ever do more. Not because I don't like working with them, but there's just that added responsibility of, okay, you know, not only do you have to keep yourself employed with the money coming in, but now you're you know responsible for these other people. Uh, but I, I like that approach and for, for you listeners out there, I mean, thinking about maybe trying to start something up, it's not like you have to start something up and then you go and have to do a W2 employee, and you know, oh crap, even. no, there's ways you can uh, finagle the system, make the system work for you with subcontracting. And I mean, it sounds like, Ethan, what, 90% of your businesses subcontracted out, because if, if you're just pretty much doing it on your own, plus that other guy, I mean, the vast majority sounds like you just subcontract it.
1: No, I mean, you know, 90% is uh, actual doing the jobs. You know, I do the work myself. And um,
0: as far and then, as tasks, though, I mean, you do yeah, work tasks, but outside obviously. of that. I mean, like, you're not, you have your phones and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's not like you have hired somebody to do the phones or anything like that.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And now with automation through online, I mean, it's incredible. Like, um, next week, I should have everything set up where um, if people call or if they, you know, they, like, say they get a, they can actually go online and just book. You know, they don't even have to call me. Like I got so many regular customers; they they prefer to just book it, anyways. So um, that takes well, out a lot of headache.
0: You know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really nice to just wake up, look over at however the software works, the calendar, and you know, right, no. For a right while, away. I was just
1: making making videos. You know, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this over here. This is how I clean this and stuff like that. Was the fun part because that, that's a kind of cool way to do marketing and just kind of put yourself out there again. And then people watch it and they're like, hey, that's that's pretty nice. Hey, I, I saw you, you know, and it's it kind of links you to your business by telling stories and showing people what you do and little things like that. I, I prefer to do things like that, but, you know, I actually got to go and you know, get my hands dirty and stuff like that and break my back. So it is hard so work, the you t- but, you know, it's it's where I'm at in my life. And, I, it, you know, I I guess um, I feel like I have that freedom to make choices. It, it would be nice to like have multiple businesses and just kind of overseeing the, the network. But uh, you know what, like you got to choose your battles. Cause I found that when I go too far in business, like things suffer in my life, like my family and my relationship with my kids. And it's like, it was just never worth it. So I was like, let me just put in so many hours at work and then the rest of the time I do other things, you know, and I'll just keep it like that. And if I need to make more money every year the inflation goes up, I just raise my price a little. I try to keep it really fair for my customers, but I'm trying to keep certain margins and percentages going. So it's it's been nice. You know, Like it feels like the last five years, it just hasn't been difficult working. It's been more of a joy. And I feel like every customer is almost like a friend. And I like this place that I'm at right now, but I know I'm just getting older, and so like I gotta, I gotta think about how that next five to ten years plays out. And I know that, uh, you know, learning these other strategies uh, for like the stock market is, I, I see that as an avenue of legitimate income. Um,
0: yeah, and I mean at the end of the day it's all about diversification of income sources right. and I mean that that that's definitely what you're focused on and does is real estate do you still have properties is that any form of uh income right now or Yeah, it is. is um, okay.
1: Yeah, cuz I I kept uh, a few of them. I started doing lease purchases, um so some of those are still playing out and um yeah, I got to still have two properties that um are paying regularly. They're real good and um now that my credit's kind of back to normal again, and uh, it's in the seven hundred range, I'm thinking about uh, doing it again. <laughs> Glutton for what, punishment. Uh, what? What? Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, there's so many. There's so many pathways in real estate. How are you think? Are you want to do rentals or flips? Or I mean, what what sort of? Uh, Doing it again, what, what, uh, how would you approach, uh, the markets?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I would like to do flips from time to time, but I really like the idea of becoming the bank. So, where you kind of do wraparound mortgages or uh, lease purchases, um, I just want to do them slower, you know, because I figure, well, if I, if I did one every two years for the next 20 years, that could be a nice income and, uh, just really spend more time vetting people, um, understanding how the property works and making sure I'm doing all the legal stuff because it, properties can really get overwhelming. There's there's just more than just the property. You got the paperwork, the taxes and things like that. And then the payments, you know, it's just, it just seems like one house has about four or five things you gotta pay pay out to, you know, it's like, man, there's another bill, an insurance bill. And there's this. It just gets kind of annoying after a while. <laughs> like
0: that, That's funny you bring up the insurance bill. Literally yesterday, I was on the phone with the local insurance company because there was something goofy that went on three or four months ago, but yet a bill showed up for the house that I just paid. So I'm sitting on the phone and I'm like, "I, I could have sworn I just paid this, but I mean, why is this? And the lady was like, okay, well, eventually, it was you know a local State Farm office, but she was gonna have to call the, I guess the National Hub or whatever to State Farm to try to figure out what's going on. But I totally understand, it's amazing. You know, there's so much more going on with real estate investing than what the you know the TV shows show you. Where it's just like we found a house, jump cut. We're starting construction, jump cut. We're done with day one demolition. It's like you realize in real life there's no jump cuts. Like you actually there's plenty of (laughs) stuff that goes on in between all that in the 30 minute period. But I mean, don't get me wrong, real estate investing is a great thing.
1: Yeah, um, uh, and just like securing the property, like you 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 know you're doing some fix up. somebody's hey, nobody's living there. Let's steal the copper wire. You know, like you gotta, right. you gotta deal with stuff like this. And so it's like, yeah. And sometimes just paying the bills on those real estate is like a full-time job. You need somebody there to just kind of move this paperwork around. So I, I kind of, that's why I like the lease purchases or just kind of like um, what's that other strategy, like where you sell the house to them. I, um, yeah, I do
0: land contracts, land contracts. contracts yeah, yeah. Things like that. I think that they, they
1: kind of take not as quite as much paperwork.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I know, listeners just realize there's always gonna be paperwork, but yeah, there's definitely some strategies that have more or less paperwork. But the hard thing with real estate now um, is just because there's such a shortage in labor for the in the trades and construction that, uh, I mean, flipping things in a reasonable amount of time, uh, you know, it's gonna be pretty challenging just because, I, I don't know, I up here in Michigan, that's the case, I, you know, I don't know where it is in all geographic locations, but just looking at national stats, it seems as though just even finding people to do the work is uh, quite difficult.
1: Yeah, and I and one thing I realized early on is like if you've never put up a door before, hire it out. <laughs> That's so true. Just <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll put it up five hours later. I was like, man, that was l- five hours for like, somebody could do it for like 50 bucks and here I'm like doing it for five hours. Eh,
0: yeah, I, I heard bright. a quote which, which summarizes it perfectly um, and I don't remember what TV show it was on, but it was, you know, you don't pay a plumber to bang on the pipes. You pay a plumber because he knows where to bang on the yeah, pipes yeah. and it's like, that is, that's poetic, that yeah, is so he
1: said true. He he hits the pipe one time and, and it flows through and he goes, that'll be $102. He goes, all you did was hit it. He goes, well I'm going charge you $2 for hitting it. I just charge you $100 to know where to hit it.
0: <laughs> that's I love it and, that, and that's so true. Amongst you know, yeah. that's capitalism at its best. That's somebody really that's is. you're paying for somebody else's experience to save yourself the time, and that's uh, that that that's great stuff. Well, I, you have some pretty good real estate stories, don't you?
1: I didn't prime my mind for it, so let me think. Uh,
0: well, I know I'm not asking for right now. I'm just saying, looking up at the time, I mean, we're going on almost two hours. Yeah, so I think I'd love to have you back sometime, and I feel like real estate and your adventures in that could probably be a podcast in and of itself Absolutely, so I mean would yeah. you be willing to come back oh, at some man. point
1: yeah, yeah totally um I got some pretty scary stories so uh but you know it's like anything you know if you're trying to get through the process um you know sometimes falling on your face and uh kind of you know just things not working out the way you anticipated you have, may have these dreams of retiring and you fall on your face when when the stars is kind of clear and you look around and you're just banged up a little bit you're like hey, you know, these bruises will heal. I'm going to get back up. And that's one of the beauties about, you know, living in this country, the way the economic system is like, I know people attack it a lot, but like we talked at the outset there, there's a remedy for everything. And not only that, it's like, this is really the only place where you can like, kind of just get destroyed and come back a hundred percent and just, just do it right. The next time, like, we, that's the kind of system we live in, and it's all because of a fiat currency system. So people might not like it, and they, they see the difficulties with it, but no matter what monetary system we are in, it's going to come with innate uh, difficulties. And this type of system that we're in now allows people to kind of reset every seven years if, if they get into uh, too much trouble. So we can be thankful for that, and uh, if it, you know, a person finds himself in a bad place, just figure out how to work your way out of it once you do you you're gonna be looking good again and you're gonna learn you're gonna learn from your mistakes and get back up and do it again sometimes people fail two or three times before they become very successful and uh, you know I just think that uh, I'm grateful for the, the hard knocks that I've learned because I can share that with people but it's i'll I treasure them from this time on because, you know, it's not just business. You carry those things with you in everything in life. You just realize, you know, it's, business is a metaphor for, like, your marriage. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have hard knocks. You're going to have tough times. It's, you know, everything spills over into something else. So, it's, you never, no matter what you do, nothing is a waste of time. It's, it's a valuable lesson that you take with you for everything you do in life.
0: I don't know. I mean, playing video games on uh, all day long, I don't know if that's necessarily. Uh but I get well. I wasn't I what going there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just. I'm just giving you a hard time. I 100 percent agree with what you're saying. But I always like to be a little proactive because there's probably somebody saying, "See, see, mom, me playing video games all day long, even though I'm 35 and I live in your basement, and you make me meatloaf every night. See, mom, it's okay." I, I told. No, that's, I, that's,
1: that's, I, yeah, I actually told my son that the other day. He's like, "Well, video games are good." I said, "Yeah, you need to build that hand-eye coordination, but you don't need two years of hand-eye coordination training." <laughs>
0: There you go. Exactly. Nor does each of those two years require you know three to four hours per day. Exactly. I mean Put, yeah, put some limits on it. You know. Yeah. No. That, that's awesome. Well, Ethan, uh, we're, I, I definitely want to you know chat some more, um, and I'll, I'll I'll certainly have you back uh, if you're willing, which you said you Absolutely. are. So I'm going to hold you to it. But uh, yeah, Ethan, thank you uh, so much for hanging out.
1: Yeah, really really good getting to know you guys and I I look forward to when we get to shake hands. Thank
0: you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I wanna just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating. That goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there and I, I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself